Pace Line is produced by the Cycling Independent with the support of subscribers like you and additional underwriting from Shimano North America. We are community-focused, community-supported, and dedicated to the whole of cycling. Always remember, at the Cycling Independent, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Emlin, Robot Lewis. I, I, I can't resist, sorry. Uh, each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Um, I, how, how bad was the leaf blower situation? Uh, we, I, am, uh, I am living in a hellscape. I'm not. Uh populated only by men with two-stroke motors on their backs. It's fall in New England. It's fall in New England, and everyone, not everyone, many people here in New England believe the dead leaf to be an evil cast down upon the earth by a, a, a dark and scornful lord. And so they spend enormous amounts of money and create an enormous amount of pollution, both particulate and air uh, sound in order to mm -hmm. remove these leaves, which PS uh, are what become soil, everybody. So do they I've actually trying... remove them or do they just move them around? Oh, no, they remove them. Oh, well, OK, there at least there's one tiny little worthwhile tidbit in all of this. Yes. Well, in California, I don't know. They I... just blow them into somebody else's yard. Ah, I mean, to me, I know that that's annoying, but at least that's better because in the other person's yard, they will also mulch themselves and become soil. <laughs> no, their their grounds crew just blows them back into your yard. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Leaf pong. I, you know, I, I am going to take issue with one thing that you said early on. It, it was kind of your uh, opening sort of uh, thesis statement. Yes. That it's fall in New England. Yes. Dude, it was in the 70s there this past weekend. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was. Yes, it was. That didn't it's happen a single time the entire seven years that I lived in Northampton. It never once even entered the 60s in November when I lived there. It was 76 or 77 here last Wednesday. Yep. The climate, the climate, she's a change in everybody. In no small part due to uh, the kind of crap that spews out of the back of a gas-powered leaf blower. Yeah, funny how that works. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so before yeah. we got on here, mm -hmm. I, I love to talk about the weather and I love to complain. Uh, but <laughs> nobody needs either one of those things from me. So before we got on here, we were talking about the Ibis Ripley that you just built up, yes. which matches the, or I think it's actually the new one year newer than the Ripley I got. It's the geometry and everything is the same. Uh, all they've right. done is new branding. So I've got all the same geometry, the exact same layup, just different components. Right. Yeah. But, but what you were saying was what? 
uh, that compared to the aluminum Ripley I bought last summer, the Ripley AF that I want to call the Ripley as anyway, yes. moving right along, uh, comparing those two bikes is a profoundly disorienting experience for me because when I got on the, the new carbon fiber Ripley that I just built up, it accelerated with such gusto that is it took what what meager wattage i put out and squirted forward with such vigor that i had a moment where i thought hmm, feels kind of like an e-bike <laughs> the difference between it and the aluminum ripley is greater than i thought was possible we're talking order of magnitude difference in the way those two bikes ride let me let me time out here and insert uh, a, 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 a posit an idea. OK, the aluminum Ripley is a really good bike. It is a very fine bicycle. You're right, 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 right. Um, so the aluminum version uh, is very good. Mm -hmm. What you're saying is that the carbon fiber version is the very best bike mountain bike. Um, well, I mean, we can we can go for it. I said it to you earlier. It is the finest mountain bike I have ever ridden in my life. Wow. I've ridden a lot of mountain bikes, even when it's I a wasn't bold statement. Yeah, it is. It really is. I mean, even before I started reviewing uh, mountain bikes and writing about mountain bikes, I was I was going out to demo days and I was trying out bikes and um you know, trying to rebuild my my skill set such as it was, uh, because most everything I knew from the day of uh, 60 millimeter travel forks and stiff rear ends and 26 inch wheels and stems that were too long. Yeah. Most of that skill set did not transfer especially well, um, which is OK. Uh, but. You know, at this point, I've got a pretty fair vocabulary of different suspension systems I've been on. And just nothing pedals like DW Link. Why Pivot and Ibis are the only two substantive manufacturers licensing that suspension design boggles my mind. <laughs> I don't I don't know Dave Weagle. Uh, Neither the do I. The creator of the DW Link. He lives on I, Martha's Vineyard. Do you know that? You do I now. did not know that. He lives in Martha's I, Vineyard. Uh, I could throw a rock. I couldn't throw a rock, but uh, it's close. Uh, he lives I, in a I place was where, you wouldn't, was... where you wouldn't ride a full suspension mountain bike on Martha's Vineyard. There's not enough not up a, and down. Not unless you were riding it off the roofs of small buildings. Yeah. Um, but he just, I, I'm going to just say he, he kind of figured out suspension. Yeah, everyone, people like the nerds will know his name and know that he has come out with a bunch of he's got a, a, a few patents. Yeah, he he's the guy. He's the guru of it. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, but it is possible that he just kind of figured it out a while ago. Um, I mean, the thing is, when you look at his history and you look at the progression of his patents before arriving at DW Link, um, it's easy to see, you know, this guy sitting at his workstation going, no, 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 I've got it. I've got it. 
Yeah. Um, and, you know, at the end of whatever stretch of work that was, six months, two years, I don't know, uh, him going, you know, I, I, this, this one may be it. And something I'm going to jump in and, and offer here for listeners is that I have, I've had the opportunity to talk to some very bright engineers in the bike industry, as well as a few out of the bike industry. And the single most remarkable thing I can say about bicycle suspension is what a motorcycle suspension designer once told me, which was that the most sophisticated work being done in suspension design is being done in the bike industry. That's because when you're dealing with cars and motorcycles and whatever else, if you redesign a suspension and it gets heavier or it gets more complicated or whatever, you pretty much can always throw more horsepower at it. Mm. That's an easy, so uh, an easy solution for whatever is ailing the suspension. Well, we'll just wool up the horsepower a little bit. Um, you know, we're, we're dealing with such a meager motor that uh, there's this constant battle to keep the weight within a reasonable realm uh, so that we don't end up with 45 pound cross country bikes. Yeah. Yeah. I have a meager motor. That part is true. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, to call mine modest would be uh, kind of a, a stretch. <laughs> it would be generous. <laughs> yeah. 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 Already. Well, I just wanted. In, well, yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to have that brief conversation about the Ibis because it struck me. I have that bike, and we had sort of uh, talked about our our mountain bikes uh, before. But I found it very interesting that you had had such a powerful response to it. It's really something. So so uh, anyway, um, segueing to our uh, regularly scheduled program, then. Um, <laughs> I, I ran into my buddy Patrick at the grocery store the other day. And Patrick's a, a former crit racer uh, who works for one of the local shops here. Uh, I met him there in the soup aisle because it's soup season. Uh, <laughs> and he told me about a guy he'd been riding with a little lately, a guy who first showed up to their Saturday shop ride. This guy and his wife are in their 40s and they took up mountain biking like last year or the year before. And they are all in awesome um, yeah uh patrick was just describing how nice it is to ride with people who are in that first full bloom of excitement mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and i know ex exactly what he means because i've been riding with some newish riders too one is my friend uh megna who is a hell of a trail runner and started riding mountain bikes last year. I, I'm bad with the actual timing of things, but not very long ago. The other is my friend Fez, who's done some riding for TCI, mm -hmm. uh, who's getting back into bikes uh, in his 40s after uh, a battle, a couple battles with cancer, which he wrote about. You can just go look them up. Anyway, um, let, let me just say, I am not the sort of person who is down to ride with every beginner who rocks up. I, I'm not that patient. I'm not that good a person. Uh, <laughs> this isn't a rant about investing your time in bringing riders up the curve as like some sort of public service, although that's a really good thing to do if you're so inclined. If you are that person, I admire you. 
Um, <laughs> what I'm talking about is what I've gotten from riding with these people. Uh, Megna and Fez are friends of mine, and they have so much motivation and excitement for riding that they're helping me way more than I'm helping them with like the little riding tips, maybe, or some trail recommendations. They're getting me on my bike more. And once I'm there, they get, get me smiling more. Uh, and so I'm having this experience of getting unjaded. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never, I've never really, I've never been really, really jaded about riding. It, it, it's not a, like a, I've never felt it was like a cross I had to bear. It's riding a bike for, for crying <laughs> out loud. I've always loved riding, even at times when I haven't been in love with riding, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, once you've been doing something long enough, though, or ridden certain areas near you a certain number of times, the shine maybe comes off. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a, a a natural consequence of sticking at something for decades and decades, right? Yep. Riding with these guys has given me a fresh set of eyes for old trails. Uh, mm-hmm. And they've reminded me that coasting downhill through the woods on a bike is among life's most sublime pleasures. Yep. Yep, they're right. E- even if I'm sometimes going more slowly when I'm with them, probably be- because I'm going more slowly, I'm I'm like taking all that in and enjoying it uh and and sort of reconnecting to the 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 joy of of discovery. Mhm. Mhm. Um do you I, do you have anyone like this in your riding life? <laughs> Uh, sort of. Yes. Yes. Uh, the best ride that I have had this year was a ride that, uh, I did with, uh, Philip, Matthew and Jennifer back in July when we were on vacation. Um, we went, uh, to, uh, what was it? Uh, the, uh, the bike park there. And, Philip, Philip was staying behind me on a climb, um, reasonably Phillip, your older son, my, yeah, my 13 year old, he was on a bike with 24 inch wheels <clears throat> and, you know, I had to soft pedal, but I didn't have to like stop and wait. Uh, he, and I could see when I looked back at him. He had the bit in his teeth. And when we started tearing down descents, um, you, he just about had hair on fire. Um, mm. And we haven't had another day like that since then, which is such a huge bummer. Um, but that was easily the best ride I have had all year. And seeing him excited and seeing him having fun was a profound delight and I really can't wait to to find some sort of circumstance where we start getting him out there on the regular because that that will absolutely have the ability to reinvigorate my riding in a way I can't conceive of anything else doing yeah to your point about going slower uh so a few years back, uh, I was, uh, I was seeing someone and she is a cyclist and we were riding in Annadale state park right by me one day. And we were on this, uh, one 
trail that uh, people who've ridden there will know the name of North Burma. And there's this stretch in there that's uh, a little bit like a very stretched out pump track. Um, It's, you know, you're going quite fast. um, And depending on the line you take, you can take kind of the standard single track line as it as it twists. But then there are also little little rises on the side that people have been going up. And so it's a neat trail in that there are a bunch of different lines on it. And so we decided to go down it and I was following her and she uh, doesn't descend as quick as I would on that trail. And because I was following her and trying to watch her form and whatnot, I started seeing opportunities on that trail that were new to me. There was a rock that I decided to pop off of that at my normal speed would look suicidal. But because I was going slower, it was like, oh, this will be fun. Yeah. And uh, I really there have been so many times where going down is like, okay, I'm going to slow down. I'm going to hit that rock again. And I'm just screaming through there and I don't slow down and I don't hit that rock. And I deprive myself of a, of that fun every single stupid time. And I'm not sure what's wrong with me. <laughs> I had this conversation with Megna. She, she's, she's uh, only been at it a, a year or two. And she said to me, D- uh, I feel bad that you have to slow down when you're with me. And I'm like, uh, you know, actually, a lot of the time, either when I'm on my own or with uh, when I'm with other friends, I am I am sort of thrashing and bashing. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> we're just we're just careening around the woods, which is fun. But when I slow down, um, I pop off those rocks, as you say. But I also pay a lot more attention to my technique. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's really fun. Um, yeah. so I said to her, like, you're not costing me anything. Like we're hanging out. We're friends. Like I'm not here. Like I'm here to hang out. I'm not like, that's my primary requirement. Uh, but also this is like a ton of fun. Yeah. Yeah. At some point I, I gained just enough, uh, distance on myself, uh, just enough self-awareness and, uh, something approaching, uh, a modicum of, of wisdom that allowed me to see that, you know, not only am I not cool, whatever I was going to prove, I proved like 20 years ago. I don't have anything to prove I because I, I literally can't prove anything other than then I'm just another ordinary guy riding bikes and trying to have a fun time. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, if I remind myself of that, you know, I, I don't need a whole lot more. Right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, anyway, if, if you if you have someone like that uh, in your life that you can ride bikes with, I highly recommend it, uh, especially if you're getting a little long in the tooth and a little um, and the shine has come off some of your riding. Yeah. Yeah. Borrow Definitely somebody is, else's eyeballs. Yeah. A solid plan if ever there was one. Yes. Also, there's there's something really lovely about sharing the stoke of cycling with another rider. Absolutely. Uh, That's something that I haven't had enough of in my life in say the last 10 years or so. Um, And so um, I would absolutely gravitate toward more rides where 
we're not really all that concerned about going all that fast. We're just going to have a really good time checking out these trails. Yep. Yeah. Or writing slow is the new fast. Write that down, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Just like 28 is the new 25. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We're going to take a little break and we will be back in just a minute. I was a know-it-all bike mechanic back in the 1990s when I learned that Shimano was introducing the first integrated brake and shift lever. (sighs) Laughably, I dismissed it. I can recall making comments about how easy it was to move my hand from my bar to my shift lever. Though young, I was already well-versed in snark. And then I rode a bike equipped with Shimano's Dura-Ace STI. Ladies and gentlemen, I ate the crow, feathers and all. Not only had I been wrong about how handy the invention was, even beyond the ease of operation, what I learned was that I could shift more often and in circumstances too dicey to be willing to take a hand off the bar. In time, I realized that they increased my efficiency, allowing me to downshift even as I was breaking through a turn. Shimano fundamentally changed how I ride road bikes. And they did so for the better. Okay, we're back with the Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. What's your story today? All right, well, you set this one up for me. We had a comment on a recent show from listener David who said, I know Patrick is a big evangelist of the custom road bike. True. Um, I've just finished grad school. Congratulations. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm editorializing here as we go through this. Uh, And I'm getting a real job. Don't do it. Uh, Sorry. (laughs) I'm considering getting a custom frame, but I don't even know where to begin. There are so many builders out there doing really cool looking work. And I would love some guidance on how to establish a relationship with a builder and figure out who might build the right bike for me specifically. Uh, Okay. Uh, Again, back to the editorializing. I love this question. Um, I got to I got to interrupt and say this question. I picked this question up out of the comments and I I was going to steal it. I actually started to (laughs) to work on a a long form answer. And I was like, gosh, he says Patrick's name right at the beginning. This is (laughs) guess I'll pass it along. But you go ahead. You go ahead and say what you're going to say. Okay. well, uh, this is a question that I have been fielding for a solid 25 years. Um, to a lesser degree, it goes even back, uh, it goes back even farther than that. So permit me a short story here. I was working for Bicycle Guide magazine in 1997 when a listener got our number somehow. Um, there was one phone number buried deep in the magazine, found that, called our offices, then got through to an editorial assistant who yelled to the three editors, of which I was one-third, that there was a reader with a question, and would we be willing to answer it? My two co-workers shook their heads no, and I, reminding everyone here, I'm the introvert, uh, (laughs) the introvert said, yeah, I'd be happy to talk to him. So I get on the phone with him, and we have a little conversation, but basically he opens up by saying, I'm going to buy a hand-built frame. I've narrowed it down to either Peter Weigel 
or Richard Sachs. I began laughing. It was a little while before I stopped laughing. Mm -hmm. Uh, He got alarmed as often happens. I'll find humor in something and people will misunderstand why it is I'm laughing. He got alarmed and asked if he'd screwed up and if there was someone else he should be considering Um, as if I would laugh at someone buying either a Weigel or a, a sax. I finally caught my breath and said, no, 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 that's not it at all. (laughs) Don't, don't read it that way. I said, you have the best dilemma ever. You can't, and this is a family show, so I won't use the real word, but you can't F this up. No matter who you choose, you'll end up with an amazing bike. He lived somewhere in the mid Atlantic, but his mom was in new Haven. And that's not far from where, uh, Sachs and Weigel, uh, live. I told him to schedule a visit with his mom. That would make her happy. Uh, She'd be happy with her son. Then make an appointment with Sachs and Weigel to take them to lunch and to do that on his visit to her. The guys lived like eight miles apart at the time. So scheduling a lunch like that would be easy. Um, And I said, at the worst, he'd have a delightful lunch with two amazing human beings. By the end of the lunch, though, he'd have an affinity for one of them more than the other. And that's the guy he'd bike. He'd buy his bike from. I'm assuming it went well because our offices were never firebombed. (laughs) It was the 90s. People hadn't caught that trick in their repertoire uh, yet. Yeah. 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 Um, Okay, so buying a custom bike Um, in order to pick a builder, someone has to decide their priorities. And in order to do that, you ask, you have to ask yourself some questions. Uh, the first one, I think it's pretty important. How much are you willing to spend? Some builders can run more than five grand for a frame and fork, even before paint. Um, so you may need to have a separate budget just for the paint. Um, how long are you willing to wait? Some builders may make you wait for a couple of years. Uh, some might only be 10 weeks out. What sort of a frame do you want? You have to decide on steel versus titanium versus aluminum versus carbon fiber. And with steel, you have to decide lugs versus TIG welding. Uh, Also, what style of bike are you buying? Some builders are known for their gravel bike or their track bikes or their touring bikes. Pick a builder who is already known for making that kind of a bike. Don't ask Richard Sachs to build a full suspension mountain bike. Uh... Do you want to be able to work on your fitting with the builder face to face? Geography will matter unless you're willing to make a flight to a place like Boston or Baltimore. Um, Do you have any unusual fit requirements for really big riders? I always just send them to Leonard Zinn at VeloNews. The Zinn brand is alive and well, and he's had other builders building for him under contract. Leonard, who I believe is six, seven, mm-hmm. something, you know? Yeah. He's I, a tall drink of water. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's like 75% giant. Um, he, he knows more about how to make a big bike stiff enough and handle well than any other three builders combined. Um, and the longer a tube gets, the harder it is to keep that bike being stiff. So it, this is no small trick. Uh, This is not something you say for the parlor. This is industrial. Uh, Finally, do you want a really incredible paint job? 
fancy paint is never included. So that will require a separate budget. Now, I've given these priorities in a particular order. Everyone should shuffle these priorities as befits their needs. One person may want their frame ASAP, while another may absolutely want titanium, but isn't sure whether to talk to seven, number two, number 22, etc. Someone may be pinching every penny and needs to find the most, uh, most cost-effective custom builder out there. Your priorities are your priorities, and any good builder will be cool with what your priorities are. If someone questions your priorities, next. Uh, <laughs> one, one piece of advice. Most people buying a fancy once-in-a-lifetime custom bike are doing this out of the dribs and drabs of their monthly budget. Many builders out there are happy to let you pay your deposit and then just send them a hundred or two as you free it up. Trickling the payment in over a year can make the purchase, mm, we'll go with nearly painless. Um, it, it's really pretty manageable that way. Uh, that's certainly what I've done in the past. Uh, the last thing I'll say is that going to an event like the Philly show put on by Bina Belenki is a great place to meet builders and see their work. The Mage Show which will be happening sometime late summer, early next fall in Portland, will be bigger than NABS ever was and will be well worth the ticket to visit Portland. Also, there's the fact that Portland, it's a fun place. Sure. Yeah, it is. You don't have to move there. No. Yeah. What have I forgotten? Um, I, I don't think you've forgotten much, if anything at all. I, I think... I think, yeah, you, 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 there will be, uh, bikes or brands or builders that you gravitate toward naturally. And I would just pick two or three, uh, email them what you're thinking about the bike and then, um, wait to see how they respond. Mm -hmm. I would pick the builder who says, oh, because you want this, we would do this, this, and this. Rather than the people who say, oh, yeah, I can do that. Mm -hmm. um, I can understand those those people get busy. But, you know, if I'm making that kind of investment, I want to hear from them like, oh, well, we would probably recommend a double butted tube set for you. Or we would recommend, um, you know, a, a, a taller head tube and, a, you know, whatever it is, they're going to something in your priorities and what you're looking for is going to trigger uh their sort of uh initial design mind yeah uh so they're going to respond with some upfront ideas i don't need them to lay out the whole thing for me right out of the gate but mm -hmm. I, I want a response that says that they have some pretty specific ideas about how to address what i'm looking for yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> And then and then the thing that uh, very few people will own up to, uh, but is obviously super important is you're going to pick the one that, that really looks good. The, the one that, like, you know, uh, uh, builders put out, they're, they're all eager to uh, put out galleries, whether it's Instagram or the, on their website, galleries of the bikes they're, they've built. Some of those are going to light you up 
yeah. and, and get you excited. And you should try to get a bike that lights you up and, and makes you feel excited. Yeah. Uh, yes. One caveat I'll add to that, though, is pick a bike that looks good, but make sure there's substance to that bike also. Make sure that it's not just a cool finish, a cool paint job or or uh, anodization or whatever it is they do to make the the bike mm-hmm. pop aesthetically. Make sure that there are real design elements under it that speak to you and how you ride. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, uh, it's a good idea generally to make a list of uh, bikes that you've loved in the past <laughs> And not just have a list, but uh, detail what it was about that particular bike that you liked. Um, There are an awful lot of builders out there who, if you go to them and say, you know, I had this Eddie Merckx uh, SL back in the early 1980s and nothing else has ever descended as well. There are a whole bunch of builders out there who will go, oh, yeah, uh uh-huh. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, we can. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. We can we can make that bike in a 21st century version for you. Um, yeah. Those conversations are just so delightful. When I ordered my uh, Bishop from Chris Bishop back in, what was that, 2011 or 12 that I ordered it? Um, I, I decided to go to him because one of the things that I really wanted in a custom steel frame was really swoopy lug work. I like those lugs where the builder has uh, laid down little brass fillets to smooth the transitions between one tube and the other. Yet you still have a very crisp shoreline uh, as well as a thinned point. To me, that's that's sculpture, you know, befitting whoever, Michelangelo, uh, to me, it's just one of the sexiest things in the whole world. And I had begun to despair that I would ever find somebody who would build that bike for me because most of the builders who used to do that work back in the eighties didn't want to put that much time into a frame. And so finding this guy who was a young Turk and hungry to make his name, uh, my agreement with Chris was that you're not going to send me an invoice. I'm just going to keep PayPaling you $100 here and $100 there. And at some point, you're going to tell me to stop. I don't care how long this goes on. What I want to do is commission you to just go nuts. Just make the coolest bike that you can possibly make, having given you these design constraints. It took us a little while to get going because uh, my fit was in a, a state of flux at the time. Um, I was establishing a new fit. And so it took us a little while to establish, you know, the tube lengths and geometry. Uh, but once we did that, uh, it was, it was just absolutely incredible. And he shipped, he finished the frame and he shipped it off to Joe Bell down in San Diego. And I told, uh, Joe Bell, um, you can use, uh, black and white and red and, you know, it's this particular red um, and then this particular blue. That's your color palette. Go nuts. And I didn't have any input beyond that. And what they came up with was a, a bike that really 
really spoke to what red kite prayer was at the time. Uh, took the took the kite and did a wrap on the seat tube and whatnot. It was a it was a heck of a thing when I first opened that box. I was uh, actually I went down to pick it up. Uh, but yeah, when I first saw it, I was pretty stunned by just how gorgeous that thing was. It's yeah, a very it's a fun mic. experience. Yeah. yeah. Well, you said something that I just want to rewind to, which is that your fit was in a state of flux. Yeah, don't don't let a custom builder, uh, d- you know, produce a geometry for you that isn't informed by a fit. Yeah. Yeah. That's like having that's like going to a custom suit maker and just saying, oh, oh I like the 38 uh, regular for men's warehouse. Um, I'm not knocking the 38 regular for men's warehouse or stock size frames, but if you're having a, a, a frame hand built where the tubes are being cut to length and the angles are all going to be custom to you, have it informed by a bike fitting. Yeah, absolutely. That is terribly important. <clears throat> um, and, you know, some guys, uh, they don't really want to to have the, the client come visit. Um, they're happy to just work with numbers produced by a local fitter. But uh, some of them, if you're willing to fly out and see them, uh, they're all over it. And so there's, you know, that's one of the other things is thinking about how you like to interact with somebody. Um, do you like being there in, in person? Um, is email enough? Um, I've had some lovely relationships st- almost strictly by email. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're a writer. And an introvert. Yeah. Uh, or was that redundant? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. All righty. Let's move on to the paceline picks. What are you doing this week? Uh, so today I'm picking some Fox socks. Uh, not Fox shocks. Not Fox shocks. Fox socks. Okay. Uh, uh, which I, th- there's a, is there a Dr. Seuss? Uh, your kids are younger than mine. Do you recall a Dr. Seuss that has a Fox in socks? Yeah. On box. On box. On box. All right. Is yeah. this Hop on Pop? I think it might have been, yes. Might have been Hop on Pop, which yeah. I also really enjoyed. Um, so because these are made by Fox, of course, they're called Ranger. Uh, <laughs> everything Fox makes is the Ranger whatever. So these are the Ranger six-inch socks, and they are sixteen ninety-five a pair. Okay. Uh, they come in five colors. Camo. Indigo, black, red, and plum. The plum are currently on sale. Uh, I bought the camo (laughs) because I know I generally buy everything in black or gray, but I am a sucker for camo. I grew up around hunters uh, and something about camo just always. uh, Anyway, Uh, what's good about them is that they're soft and comfortable, but also they give a compression support that is like having a pair of weighted blankets on your feet. Oh, seriously. I, I think they make me feel more calm than a conventional sock. I feel dumb saying it, but it's true. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They also have a gripper strip in the middle of the foot to keep them in place in your shoe, which if you're out trying to get rad, turns out to be a real thing. I'm trying to get rad, but the, the emphasis should be on trying, not on rad. Okay. Um. These are not winter socks, but you could pull them over a pair of Defeat Wooliators, which are the best sock ever made. And, mm. and at that point, you'd be pretty comfortable at, at kind of higher winter temperatures. Uh-huh. 
Um, the one thing I can't tell you about is durability. I bought the pair I have in Wales uh, at the end of the summer, so I've only worn them five or ten times. Um, you know, the other question is, is $17 a lot for a pair of socks? Probably. Uh, will I buy more pairs of these? Yes, probably. I like them that much. Okay, a question, because uh, I can't leave well enough alone. This little gripper strip, are we talking it's uh, uh, it's four to half or side to side? It's side to side. Interesting. And it's and it's subtle. It's not like a, a like a rubber. It's not like a the gripper on a on a bib short. Uh huh. It's just a, a slightly thicker section with little vaguely rubberized strips on it. Okay. Okay. I um, don't even notice it when it's on when they're on my feet. Well, I'm I'm curious about it because I have such a high arch that I wonder if it would actually make contact in my case. I couldn't tell you. Mm -hmm. uh, you would have to put on a pair. The Plum are on sale for $14.99 right now. And mm. you, would, you would look delightful in Plum. I, I've heard on occasion that I am a Plum. Um, yeah. 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 Those, those people were partial to me there. Yeah. 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 Good folks. <sighs> Who isn't? <laughs> what are you picking this week? My pick this week is a gift giving one, whether it's oh. to yourself or anyone else. So my friend Bill Cass is an exceptionally gifted graphic artist. Truth. He did the artwork for RKP's Eddie Merckx and Andy Hampston t-shirts and prints for that matter. Um, uh, I commissioned those at some real expense, but they are some pretty exquisite pieces of art. Um, he did uh, illustrations for us when I was at Bicycle, Bicycle Guide. Um, we had a bunch of mutual friends, but um, back in New England, but hadn't ever crossed paths with each other. And it was so funny because when I was uh, busy applying for the job at Bicycle Guide, I was asked to do uh, a review of one of the issues. And he'd done this drawing of a guy, bear in mind, this is the mid 90s. Uh, it's a guy on a set of rollers with a TV cart in front of him with the TV and a VCR. And on the TV screen is a guy with his arms up in a victory salute. So obviously he's been riding his rollers, watching a bike race. And he did the very thing that I did when I was on uh, rollers or a trainer, which is try to try to follow the sprint. And he has sprinted himself off the rollers and into the wall and going kablooey. Um, <laughs> and that illustration was like crammed down in one corner of a page. It got, it was about an eighth of a page. And I said straight up, you know, you unfairly buried this thing. It should have been a full page. It's one of the best things in the whole issue. Um, so I think Bill helped me get my job at bicycle guide. Uh, anyway, he has finally decided to launch a business of doing caricatures of riders riding. He's taking commissions, and I'm pleased to say that we are the first to promote his efforts. So our listeners can get in the queue before this gets picked up by any other outlet. And he's going to have a waiting list. This is a guy who's, who people are definitely going to go to. Um, as a matter of fact, people can see his work in a post that just went live this morning. Uh, Bill's career, uh, his talent as a graphic artist aside, has been built on shoe design. 
He designed all of Nike's cycling shoes for many years and went as far as to hand make Lance Armstrong's shoes for him. Um, From there, he went on to do boots for both Merrill and the North Face. Um, I know no one who draws cycling with more style or a better feel for the sport than Bill does. Um, A commission with him for a rider in your life or heck, yourself, uh, could be a cycling present of a different sort. Uh, There will be a link for Bill's email in our show notes. I I will say as a personal endorsement that the the illustration he did of Merck's for the T-shirt we did at RKP um, is one of my favorite pieces of cycling art ever. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely is for me, too. Uh, Something I decided recently I'm going to finally do. Why I haven't done it up till now, who knows? Uh, But I've still got copies of those prints, and I'm going to take the two of them and have them framed together, finally, so that I have them up on my wall. It's not enough to just walk around in a T-shirt with that. Yeah. Yeah. They are good stuff. Yeah. They are really special pieces of art. And that's the thing. He's somebody like you could give him some backstory and he will, he will build a piece of art around that backstory. He's really that gifted. Uh, he's an extraordinary individual. Um, uh, one of my favorite creatives on the planet. Truly. Oh, that, that is high praise. Yeah. I, I, I don't spend enough time with that guy even remotely. Um, so yeah. Alrighty. Well, that's a wrap on another episode of the pace line. Uh, before we go, I'd like to put in a plug for TCI's other podcast revolting, which is a cycling past uh, cycling podcast. That isn't really about cycling hosted by John and Steve Knievel of all hail the black market. Um, we're hoping that you like it. And if you do, please subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and if we aren't listed in a place you like to get podcasts, let us know where you'd like us to appear. There are more outlets now, uh, than there are channels on cable. Um, it's really something. Hey folks, send us some questions. If you've got an idea, please drop by the cycling independent and put a suggestion in our comments. Um, Facebook works too. Uh, We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Emlyn Robot Lewis. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.